You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and the fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all all cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10thwardbarbershop.com. And we thank them for supporting the podcast. Foundation Radio is brought to you by The Dugout. The Dugout provides custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Modern style mixed with classic designs, you'll find retro t-shirts brought into the 21st century. Adam has several of his favorite t-shirts in rotation from the team at The Dugout, including customized Dudley Boys, Prince in the Revolution, and the Notorious B.I.G. t-shirts. Right now, if you purchase your items through their Etsy site and use promo code FOUNDATION, you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's right, 15% off your entire order. Follow them on Instagram at The Dugout Brand. Follow the link on their Etsy shop and use your promo code FOUNDATION for 15% off your entire order. The Dugout, custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Good morning, world. Welcome to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Barnard. Thank you so much for joining me again and every week here. This is actually part two of a two-part conversation with my good friend Noah Kinsey. How are you, sir? Great to see you again today. Good. Great to see you. We're doing that Dick Wolf crossover episode. <laughs> I love it, dude. <laughs> Special. So thank you so much for wanting to do that. Abs- exciting. Absolutely. And if you want to start, which you probably should, I want you to hit pause on this episode if you haven't listened to part one. And I want you to go over and find the Coffee Time podcast with Noah Kinsey right now. Go into your phone, not while you're driving, of course, because that would be stupid. So stop what you're doing. Go look up Coffee Time, listen to part one with me and Noah, and then come back and listen to this one. But brother, it is great to see you again. Thank you for stopping by the show. I'm looking forward to picking up where we left off because there is a lot to talk about, man. Uh, I don't even know where to start, man. We were we dived into a lot of topics last week, and we uh, there's a lot of ground to continue to cover here. So I guess the best place to, talk, to start here is uh, talking more about AEW. And where we are going to yeah. go 
with this uh, this world and and maybe even wrestling in general because uh, you know we've we've now had the big swole controversy we've now had a lot of different things that have been happening here and there but what kind of struck me since the time we spoke last and the time today uh, was this conversation about Walter and Gunther and about the name <laughs> change with the, with Walter, who is best known for his time in NXT UK, who is now most likely either going to NXT or coming to the main roster mm-hmm. at some point coming up. And they changed his name to Gunther, and which was some kind of Gunther Stark or some other Nazi symbolism, which, again, you know, to be fair, they probably should have thrown that in the Google search and made sure that... There wasn't any baggage on that one. That was really not a good look. Uh, but then Cody Rhodes mentioned this name on television. Gunther McGilla Buddy or some other bullshit. And it was, you sent me a, a direct message and it was uh, something, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but it was something along the lines of, here we go. It's more like, you yeah. know, daddy put me in the corner thing. So how did, <laughs> when you're watching that, like when you're watching that stuff and I'm reflecting on our conversations, the first thing I said to my wife, Courtney was, fuck, no one, I literally just talked about this. How did you, like when that happened and you heard that, that retort from him, what, what was going through your mind at the time? And did you call back to our conversation? Oh yeah. No, no, no. Just like you, when, uh, when Cody said that it just, I immediately had to reach out to you. Cause I'm like, are you fucking kid? Like we just talked about this. And, you know, we talked about it on the sh- on the other show, on my Coffee Time podcast with Noah Kinsey, where AEW should be called FYW for fuck you, dad, because Cody can't stop just using AEW to talk shit about WWE. I mean, it just it and it feels like they know. I, I struggle with this, uh, so I'm going to kind of do an analogy here. I'm going to go roundabouts yeah, if that's OK. Do your thing, man. But. But it feels like Cody, the Young Bucks, Omega, and Tony Khan, they thought their audience wanted an alternative to WWE because they felt as disenfranchised as Cody did with his time in WWE. And so they catered to that market of disenfranchised WWE fans. So I think that's who they thought their main audience was from the get-go, and I think that's why they're hemorrhaging viewers. And I mean, not in massive numbers, but it's one of those things where it's the same thing with, like, let's say, let's say uh, Tucker Carlson. I'm trying to think of another example, but Tucker Carlson's primary audience are insanely angry conservatives who have this undercurrent of white supremacy. So that's who he markets towards and that's who his audience is. But I would argue, was your audience initially that, whether you're AEW or Tucker Carlson, or have you gotten rid of the audience that isn't that, that could have made you bigger, and the only people who stuck around was that group? Like, are you, uh, and is that why AEW can't grow? Because everyone else is like myself. I was so excited for AEW to come around, not necessarily because I like Omega, the Young Bucks, Cody, any of that stuff, but I was happy because when there is competition, the creative side of the industry gets better and it forces them to get better. But we're not, we don't, 
there was no Tuesday night war or anything like that. Like there was no head to head. I know AEW wants to say that, but you're going against the developmental league and basically tying for the most part. Right. And uh, like, cause we talked about it on my show, but household is the demo that brings in money in this day and age. It is, especially when your numbers as low as AEW is for the 18 to 49, you are not getting premium ad revenue. You are just, you're not. So to me, so when I see that, it's like, you're a fucking EVP of the company and you aren't putting your best foot forward. And Omega recently was talking shit to fans online saying like some dude's, Avi looked like he was trying to kidnap a kid. The guy's kid, by the way. But it's like, you're an EVP. You aren't some indie wrestler anymore, regardless if you want that. And you're not going to grow if this is all you do. Because I was excited, but the fact that Tony Khan is like the love child of freaking Vince Russo, and I don't even remember who the other person was I said the other day, but like, it's such a turnoff to me because I don't want to watch... AEW because I hate WWE. I want to watch it because, you know, a lot of my wrestlers that I really like that moved over there who got fired from WWE and moved over there, but I just can't watch it because it's such a toxic presentation. And I'm glad you use the word toxic because that's how I feel about it too. And I want to be clear to anybody listening to the show right now as well who's sitting here thinking like anyone who listens to me thinks that I shit on AEW. And that's just not the case, right? I also was excited for an AEW alternative product to WWE for the same reasons you were, not because I was a Kenny Omega fan. I didn't really even know too much about Kenny Omega other than the Chris Jericho fight that he had was kind of, for me, the first time I was like, oh, well, who is this guy? You know, and it it piqued my curiosity. I thought those matches, I thought the Jericho and Omega matches were done very, very well. Um, It's not that I disliked them or anything, but I think you're right. I think there's this toxicity around wrestling in general where it becomes almost counterproductive right and now you know the biggest difference for me anyway is when you see companies like wwe uh or even like a coca-cola right because at this point wwe could be considered and i think we sort of touched on this a little bit wwe could be considered in a category as like a coca-cola or a mcdonald's it's a household name it's a brand equity it's a it's the whiteout of sports right you don't (laughs) you know what i'm saying it's like they don't call it liquid paper eraser they call it whiteout right you call a marker a a permanent marker you call it a sharpie wrestling anyone i've ever met Whoever talks about wrestling, whoever meets me, they're like, oh, you're doing this thing, you know, and wrestling podcast. Oh, you're talking about WWE because they know it's 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 ingrained in the vernacular of most Americans because that's what the product is. But there Mm -hmm. is a heavy level of, of toxicity, not just from the international light or the Internet wrestling community, but also from these guys who are running a company like you. First of all, like, let's be clear. I don't support homophobia in any way, shape, or form. I don't support anybody shitting on the LGBT community in any way, shape, or form. And what the, the things that they're talking about with Kenny Omega and his sexuality, like, you know, being bi or whatever it is, that's, that's his business. And it's, it doesn't belong in the stratosphere or the conversation in any way, shape, or form. However, I say that to say that he shouldn't have said what he said about this guy touching kids or whatever it was that he said about this guy on Twitter. You are correct. You are an executive vice president of a company. 
a global company or at least a national company right now, a major wrestling organization. You can't say that shit anymore. You can't say that stuff. And it's like we don't have, you know, Tony Khan prides himself on not having any media training or any of this or any. It's like, well, you guys clearly need this shit because you're not yeah. making things, you know. And I think the, the the phrase that we used last time, Tony Khan is a mix between Vince Russo and Donald Trump. All you have to yeah. do is look yeah. back at, and I yeah. think, go, go back and check me and tweet me and let me know. But you have to look at the big swole tweet, you know. It literally read like a tw- like a Trump tweet. Oh, I let her go because yeah. uh, she's no good and she didn't hold it. like. You're the fucking you're the you're the CEO and president of this company. You know, let's just take everything else out of the equation for 30 seconds. Who writes that shit? Who yeah. writes that stuff? There may be disagreements in creative between, you know, WWE and Bray Wyatt, but nobody in the WWE upper echelon is out there tweeting, "Well, Bray Wyatt sucked and he couldn't lose weight, so that's why we got rid of him." No. It was a very professional we decide, you know, we've moved on or whatever it was, you know, the future endeavors email or, or text, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's become commonplace in, in wrestling world. Yeah. But there was nothing like that. And that's just to me, it's mind boggling when I think about it. But it also does. It turns me off from the product because I want to like this so fucking bad. I want to like it so bad. They have no real training territory other than the Monster Factory. They have no NXT uh, or not the Monster Factory um, Nightmare Factory. They have no training developmental like they do with NXT, which literally is for them to prepare these guys to go on national TV and wrestle. They don't have a press team. Like, these are, these aren't just, and, and the thing that fucks me up is it's not even just as far as it being something about like wrestling, right? These are infrastructure processes that most sporting companies have, that most large corporations have. You have a training team. You have a press team. I know in my shoot job, I have a press team. I'm not going to say fucking anything about my work until it goes through the press, and I can't speak for my work unless it goes through. You know, so it's like, it's this very weird dynamic that really turns me off, but another part of this is this key demo, which we spoke about. I wish I had a button on the soundboard here so I could blast it out like the voice of God. Yeah. As someone who is interested in and in, in, in talking about this, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show as well, I want to know from your end, because you have spent a lot of time in this world. This is what you do. You study the yeah. dynamics of television and you study the ratings and this key demo things. And tell me more about why this is a flawed metric for what some of the folks in AEW are saying about this key demo and the rating structure that they cling so hard to. Yeah. Uh, it It's an antiquated way of looking at things back in the old Monday Night Wars. Um, but even then, when you look at back at that, before Vince turned it into the Attitude Era, they focused on preteens and kids. You know, there were larger-than-life superhero characters uh, that somehow had day jobs but would wrestle, like uh, an a evil dentist and, right. and the, the, things the, like... The trash man and the goon. Yeah, like all these weird fucking yeah, things. boss man, like yeah. just all these different things. Um, and then uh, and then you had WCW going for the 18 to 49. That's what differentiated them. That's what Eric Bischoff wanted to make different because of that demo but the problem was sponsors weren't really high on wrestling because like days of yore they thought that it was just low common lowest common denominator audiences they didn't think that until eric bischoff proved them wrong with a lot of their focus groups and a lot of their uh, marketing studies that he had them do they just thought it was 
trashy people who watched it, just like how NASCAR and I'd say up until the late 2000s, their late 90s, early 2000s, people thought that was low, low income people until they realized, oh, my God, people with large, uh, which large incomes are watching NASCAR. And then all of a sudden it's this huge thing that commands ad rates close to football. So it's, but, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, you even see like the signage on the cars. That's, that's no joke. When I worked for a kind of to what you're talking about and we spoke about it on my show, uh, I used to work for a Fox affiliate uh, with TV advertising and our NASCAR packages were the, the only thing more expensive was our football packages. Wow. It was just nuts, especially, uh, I'm trying to remember it. I think it was the fall, whichever one is like each race matters. Okay. That is okay. like, so you'd win that, that not the one where it's like, if you lost this race, you got some points, but like not the one that builds up to something. This I is see. one where okay. everyone matters. That one commands a lot of money because high, high income households watch NASCAR. Right. So, but that's that's really old nowadays, and we touched on it in my episode, uh, my show. But I, we can do just a little bit here so people right like, a little context. Toys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, things have changed a lot with the way people consume content, and uh, you know Nielsen just was always flawed. It really always was. I mean, it just undercounted minority viewers uh most of the markets were diaries and if you're thinking if you want to be a stereotype for a second between men and women who are more responsible turning in diaries every single day it's going to be a woman therefore the numbers make it seem like more women watch tv than men so therefore a lot of shows were female skewing also, you know, the advertising up. dollars as well went to mostly cleaning products, appliances, things that you would do around the house because at the time it was centered towards a very, you know, this this patriarchal idea, women stay at home in the household and therefore we're going to market these products. Uh, from what I understand in my media studies, that was really how products lived and died at the time was because the women would then, you know, so is that it's that weird outdated dynamic that's still sort of in play. Am I understanding that? correctly yeah i mean so that goes way back we're talking like the 60s back when women didn't work and uh what you what you're talking about is the reason why they're called soap operas is because you had companies like johnson and johnson who they were the ones who who made these soap operas and that was to sell their cleaning supplies right literally selling their soap and disinfectants that's why they're called soap operas but with with this it's still i mean if you remember uh smackdown used to be on the wb used to be on cw correct uh, i should say instead and then the president decided well look at all these women who turn in these diaries so that must be the the go-to so even though smackdown was the highest rated program on their channel she got rid of it and focused all of those shows on women 18 to 34 thinking that was the key demo and that just killed killed the ratings for the cw because in actuality it's just women are more likely to hand that stuff in but they're not exactly the ones buying proportionately that amount of of goods. So it just did not translate to good ratings for them. It actually went down. 
And you could also kind of point to as well, because now that we're talking about, we're going to talk about lots of things here, folks, and you're going to fucking learn something today. But you can also look at things like MTV. MTV mm-hmm. historically from the beginning, you know, like let's we can also acknowledge the fact that MTV really dropped the ball for a long time for not having black artists on their channel. But yeah, and they went through many huge, identity crises. Yeah, huge. Like I think I think MTV should be the identity crisis network, really. But <laughs> yeah. in a way, you can sort of see how the ratings and, and this this search for the the golden goose in some ways, right? Because if you think about it, MTV had TRL, right? Me growing up, I was a teenager. I remember TRL. I remember the box. And if you're not familiar with the box, go ahead and Google the box because it was fucking cool. It was the alternative to MTV. You could pick up a phone, call an 800 number, and request whatever video you wanted to see. And if you paid an extra like 2 or $3, the video would pop up on the screen. That's what led to them, uh, MTV, acquiring the box and creating MTV2, which was similar to their processes. But then the video. By the way, when it came to TRL, I don't. I to this day, I don't understand how you have an hour and a half long program and you can't show all ten videos fucking completely. Well, right, but because but because it's advertising dollars. Because remember, yeah. at the time, you have all these kids. They had a position for all the kids to come home from school. You have all your favorite artists coming on the TV. That's who you want to see. You want to see Corn come on. You want to see Britney Spears. You want to see InSync premiering the new videos and mm-hmm. talking about the music, right? But then they started to stray more towards, you know, like different content programming. So they have the real world, they have road rules, but then you have Jackass that shows up pretty much out of nowhere and becomes the outlier and becomes their major money machine. I yeah. saw this shit myself. This These fucking yeah. shows and these movies do gangbusters. But then they start moving away from Jackass and they start moving towards the... Uh, What's the Jersey word? Of, Shore. The Jersey Shore, the reality television shows. And there's only so much of that that you can do that you can sustain long term mm. in that because eventually you're going to dilute the playing field. Now MTV is just a station where they play reruns of all the shit that they used to have and there's no music on the channel. So you can't really trust in a lot of ways. Like it's hard to predict the viewership when you like too much of a good thing seems to ruin a lot of these networks, right? So how do you yeah. how does a network look at something like a SmackDown, like what you were saying with 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 the WB or even UPN, which was in the Philadelphia market, or MTV? How do you look at that and quantify the ratings when it's like, oh well, hey, everybody's watching the Jersey Shore, but like you know, like it doesn't long term. Does that make sense? Am I tracking here? Oh, I'm trying yeah, to totally. I'm trying to figure out the right way to phrase this, but like in in senses, how does a television company still using these metrics in 2022 when we know very clearly that we can see that it's 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 diluted because nobody I know watches MTV anymore. Nobody that no. I know, nobody in my in, in in the younger generations watches MTV anymore for this quality, this programming. So how do they sustain a future? How can they sustain long term on those networks when the viewership doesn't line up? So one of the issues that Viacom had back then, because they own MTV, VH1, Nickelodeon, uh, a lot of those networks, BET, um, one of the problems they had is, which I I understand they want to come up with an identity. They want to come up with a brand that is definitely them. And when you have these monster hits like Jersey Shore, Road Rules, uh, Real World, things like that, it's all great. But to your point, what what they struggle with is if all of their programming is the same, once people have gotten sick of that appetite, 
they leave the entire channel. You don't have this buffet, so to speak, of programming where there's still a variety of reason for you to stick around. So MTV has had this identity crisis because once people were done with with programs like Jersey Shore or whatnot, they're done with the entire network. Mm-hmm. There's not a reason for them to stick around because it's a bunch of the same. And ABC's had a problem with this when they did who wants to be a millionaire three nights a week because it did really well one night a week. So they just stretched it out. And I mean, it's, it's tough. And so kind of to your point though, with MTV, when it came about, that was, I'm not going to say it was the first, but that was one of the biggest, most high profile channels that was product integration that the entire show featured things that they were trying to sell you. Now, uh, in my college class for mass media and society, they want they wanted us to think that MTV was the first to do this, uh, that they were the first to just make everything like sellable in a commercial. But I disagreed. And now that I'm in the real world in the 20 years since I've been in the real world, got to not to toot my own horn, but I proved myself right that for them, for the most part, all of TV is that the whole reason TV was invented was to sell you stuff and then to have limited content breaks from the commercials. I mean, you look at the prices, right? And that's literally a show that rewards you for being a good consumer because you guess on how much that new LG fridge costs. Like it's all name brand. And if you guess right, congratulations, you get to move on to guess the prices of others. It's not just fridge or stove. It's specifically that brand. So, I mean, as long as prices right has been around, it's been all rewarding you for being a good little consumer. And it is what it is. That's why you get, you would get TV for free now, but when it comes to the ratings, what what you have to do now because the way people consume content like i said before has ch- changed is you can't rely on commercial breaks anymore because even though like the farther along we go the more nielsen has been proven to just be irrelevant yeah. it just it yeah. frankly it is i mean it's been flawed from the jump but now its flaws are jarring and loud and really what you what content creators are doing and it also helps that streaming is a thing so it makes more sense to do this financially is product integration you know you had chuck that had subway and toyota and they integrated granted they did it in like the worst possible ways it was obvious it was a commercial within the show well it was the same thing with community is that when they did subway Mm -hmm. it was the same idea they're getting product advertising dollars to add this character into the show in perpetuity because it's still on the replays you know you can go on netflix yeah. right now and you can go on the streaming channels and watch community and i want to say it was season three when subway came in and that was the character's Probably. name was subway but anyway i digress i didn't mean to cut you off continue no no, no that's fine the same thing with jane the virgin with target those saved mm-hmm. the show i mean how many times did jane have a target bag or any of them they would go to they love target like that was they did a little bit better even though it's Maybe a little bit less of my career. It's a little it bit stood out. It, well, it was a little bit less on the nose, right? Whereas, yeah. like, or we can tie it back to wrestling because you know that's what we do with everything. Johnny Knoxville, Johnny Knoxville entering the Royal Rumble is a fucking product placement. And and uh, like I said, not to toot my own horn a little bit, but to toot, I watched this shit when Jackass 3D happened. 
I was around mm-hmm. in Westchester when they filmed this movie. I That's overheard cool. conversations about MTV's processes and how they do things and, and their promotions and their publications. Jackass is a certified multi-million dollar property forever and ever until the end of time. It doesn't yeah. matter if these guys are around. That shit will always be something that is going to be, make money for MTV. And mm-hmm. the reason that they brought Johnny Knoxville in to do the Royal Rumble is A, because it's going to attract eyeballs to the new Jackass movie, which it really, WWE needs Jackass more than Jackass needs WWE. Agreed. Eat all three movies. All three movies went number one in the box office for weeks. They made mm-hmm. millions and millions of dollars off of these off these properties, all three of them. Number four is going to go number one as well, because there's guys like us who love seeing people get kicked in the nuts, and they want to go see it. Right. Yeah. But what Johnny Knoxville is doing is and what he's achieving for them is he's bringing people into the fold who a may have lapsed watching the shows B may have never watched the shows before and want to see what Knoxville's doing on the show and C bringing the younger viewers in. Do you know what my mm-hmm. kids did Noah the other day when Johnny when we were watching Smackdown? Do you know the moment that they came back into the room when they wanted to see the show? It was the Johnny Knoxville when- Sammy Zayn segment. Because they wanted to see Sami Zayn get hit with a fucking cattle prod. And that, like, mission accomplished. This is not Mm -hmm. hard to see, though. But again, to your point, it is a very clear product placement. While it may not be something tangible like coffee or a coffee mug, it's a vehicle, it's a property that they're going to use to propel ratings and and advertising dollars. I'd love to know what the, you know, the background, back end of that deal is to have Knoxville on on the program. But everything to your point, it is. It is a. It is a. It's an advertisement. So I guess the the other question to this is I have, which is what I've been kind of waiting for this this episode to to talk about. There's a lot of folks inside of the IWC and a lot of folks that we know and a lot of folks that we respect who work inside of the journalism world who still use the Nielsen ratings and this 18 to 49 key demo aspect as something to propel and say. AEW is now winning this key demo and AEW is now outperforming WWE. What is it about the Nielsen ratings that continues to bring people in to use them as a metric? It's almost like the Dave Meltzer star rating, right? It's antiquated. It's it feels it's one person's opinion. It's stupid. And it's never made me want to watch an Okada Omega match or whoever, you know, these these seven star Tokyo Dome matches has never made me want to watch it. What is it about? This is the same guy who said that the Firefly Funhouse match was dog shit, right? I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I could talk do six episodes on that on that that match. What is it about the Nielsen ratings though that continues to bring people back and utilize that as a form of success? Well, the reason they use it, one of the reasons they use it, is because there's nothing, there's no other metric that's comparable at this point. But the true reason is, is if they stir up this concept of AEW versus WWE and build up this excitement, it gets them more clicks, which gives them more ad revenue based on the ads that are on their website. So quite frankly, that's a lot. Now you have Dave Meltzer, who in my not so humble opinion, the moment he became a consultant for AEW, he needed to step down. He should Agreed. not have been the voice Agreed. of Wrestling Observer because it's horseshit. It's, he's, he's never been unbiased, but this 
is screaming he is an employee of AEW. So everything he says is biased. It Like, you can't even, back in the day, you could just pretend he isn't, but he is. He works for them. He's said he works for them. So he cannot be this unbiased person. But the fact of the matter is it's just the websites operate a lot like shows did back in the day. They need that ad revenue. And if you can stir up this fake excitement, then that's going to bring more people to their website. That's going to provide more clicks. And they, let's be honest, wrestling journalism has never worried about integrity. They just haven't. It's just, I mean, back in the day before the kayfabe was finally broke or forever broken, you know, they kind of went off of, you know, to Dave Meltzer's, his defense, which bums me out to even have to say that, but (laughs) he didn't know. He didn't know what was true and what wasn't back in the nineties because he was only going off of the people who would talk to him. I would like to think that's the case and he wasn't just making shit up. But now that kayfabe is broken, you don't have that excuse anymore. There is no reason why you're going to push this horse shit when you know it's horse shit. But because there is you, we have this thing in society now where we don't watch news to be educated. We watch news to be proven right about our preconceived notions. So you have these wrestling journalists that just lean into confirmation bias because that promote, that produces the most revenue for them. Now I'm glad that you brought this up because it was going to tie into something (laughs) else that I was going to ask you. And I'm glad you, you fit it right in. What do you think? I I appreciate you, sir. What do you think (laughs) is a bigger detriment to not just like wrestling but but in society in general do you think it is like the lack of the fairness doctrine being around anymore because the fairness doctrine from 1987 you have to you know give both sides or you have to prove your point on tv or do you think it's the clinging to these antiquated metrics that allow people to stir up shit and allow them to create this clickbait microwave minute society that allows us to confirm our biases without doing the deeper research. What do you think is more detrimental, in your opinion, working in the media? Which one of those two aspects do you think has created more damage to us as a society? I think the problem is the way that news organizations are compensated, the structure has changed. Uh, you know, and, and it really came about during the 24 hour news cycle where it's just, you, you gotta find reasons for people to still tune in. I don't know if you remember when that Malaysian aircraft went down, how many weeks there was literally no new updates, but because that had initially done such good ratings, they were just like, Oh my God, like this could potentially be some oil that's come to the surface, but we don't know. Like, let's stay tuned. It's like, dude, just fucking go down and lick it. I don't care. Like, let's right. get this over with. <laughs> like, I know you're doing this to keep people holding on. Cause there's nothing else. There is in the whole world. There's plenty of information to take up a 24 hour news cycle, but what they care about how they're compensated is by numbers of viewers. And the more sensational stories that you can talk about and more hot takes you can talk about the more people are engaged. I mean, even look at ESPN now, and I apologize. I do not know the gentleman's name, but recently uh, 
their like main anchor, that that black dude that always looks like he's judging everybody. He got a brand new deal. Was it Steve? Is, he, are you talking about Stephen A. Smith? Possibly. He used to have a show where he had a, a white dude co-host, and that guy's gone. Like he I, got rid of him. Yeah, I can't. In the I, last. If I yeah, if I saw a picture of him, so I apologize for this. If and to any of you ESPN people, but his whole thing, you watch his show, and he just he just looks angry all the time, and he's super passionate about it, which is great. But then there's a lot of arguing that's going on that's like just not, I would say probably not super healthy. But but because it's just this like ugh, this amped up and adrenaline people are going to want to tune in because he can elicit emotion out of people for better, for worse. And so we're constantly chasing viewership and we're because we're chasing the almighty ad dollar and the more relevant you are. And it's not just Nielsen ratings anymore. It's also how many YouTube clips are watched, which is a better gauge because that's actual viewers. Um, But it's anything that can go viral. So it's this whole, I think it's, it, you know, that made the big difference. And we no longer have those trusted news people that you tune into at six o'clock and at 10 o'clock. We don't have that anymore because that's not how people consume the news, but they're also not wanting to consume the news to educate themselves. And you have the people in the media that it's, I don't want to say though they're run by accountants, but they're definitely dictated by the numbers. Hollywood Reporter just did an interview a couple of weeks ago with the new president of Fox News. I don't know how new she is, but like since um, Ailes. So it's, it's this woman who she does, she says she does not have any um, political leanings per se. It's about how the shows perform. And I mean, I love The Hollywood Reporter, but I was appalled at how they're trying to normalize that when the fact of the matter is to that what that means is they're going after whatever gets them the highest ratings, which means there's no morals or ethics or convictions in that. That's very dangerous. So you have Tucker Carlson doing these gangbuster ratings and he's poisoning our country because he's rewarding the people who already are showing up angry, you know, and then he has a segment talking about how he's pissed off that the brown Eminem is not going to be as sexy in her uh, lower heels. And he really misses the days when cartoon characters were had sex appeal, but man, they all just want to make them non-binary. And it's like, dude, what are you talking about? But that's, that's the thing that he wants to make people mad that liberalism is infecting everything. But it's also too, it's, it's crazy because it's, it's when you read, when you listen to that stuff, like guys like us, I could listen to that and be like, why do you want to fuck a cartoon character so bad? Mm. Why do you want to have sex with a, with a green M&M, right? But in Mm. reality, in, in our brain, we are still wired to think and, and like have a level of. Common. I don't want to say common sense because that that phrase has been bastardized critical by pretty thinking. much. Yes, it's a critical analysis, right? It's a level of critical analysis that we still have that somehow these people who watch this program do not have anymore. And I was talking to my neighbors about that the other night. I'm like, when did we become such a society? They they know someone within the past eight months who have become so rabidly 
conspiracy theory about the the COVID vaccine, about uh, George Soros and Bill Gates being involved in this, and about how Joe Rogan has the answers and all this really wacky <laughs> shit, right? Like Aaron Rodgers being right, all this wacky shit that is going on in our world right now, and how fast they have be, have gone down that rabbit hole. And I I'm curious as a again as a media person, what do you attribute that to? How do people become so so radicalized so quickly in, in engaging in this type of media. What are they doing? Help me understand. If you understand it, help me because I can't figure it out. How are, and I've watched it happen to even people in my circle. How do they become so radicalized so quickly? And what are the tactics that they're using that are allowing them to weaponize this information? Well, I don't know this if this is necessarily going to make you feel any better, but probably not, dude. Not, nothing, nothing really makes me feel better at this point. So go ahead and just let me have it. <laughs> this is not a new phenomenon. This has happened all through history when you have a civilization that's become disenfranchised in the power dynamics of the world and they feel helpless. Um, I mean, there's a reason why our front runners in 2016 were Donald Trump for Republicans and Bernie Sanders for Democrats. These two outliers who weren't part of the institution, who were critical of the institution, who spoke to the people who felt left behind in the institution. They were, you know, two different sides of the same coin. But then, unfortunately, well, I would say I was going to say I don't think politicians have noticed that, but I think they have. But because the system works for them, there's no incentive for them to change it. But it's been this we are highly tribalized at this point. Tribalism is just this huge thing. And same. I mean, look at AEW and WWE. Right. That's tying it back. No, tying it back. I like it. But I'm I'm a host podcast host, too, man. But (laughs) (laughs) but. But you've seen this over time, and I'm not really super stoked with where this is headed, if history is going to repeat itself. But we see this all the time when you have disenfranchised people that want there to be – right now, to be honest, the reason they're disenfranchised, the problem is too big. It's too big and it's overwhelming. And for a lot of people, they're like kind of the reason why they prefer sound bites over articles. It's like, no, 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 dumb it down for me. Who's to blame? And you have people like Trump who's like them. And, and so his group's like, oh, shit, them? That's right. They're taking my jobs. Um, which I got to say, if Mexico is only bringing in rapists and drug dealers, but Mexicans are also taking your jobs, what the fuck job were you going for? But Right. But again, none of that shit tracks is because there is no but, critical analysis. Yeah. Right. 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 But, but the fact of the matter is he has provided – he provided someone to blame. Right. And now you have poly- – but honestly, Democrats are just as guilty. They just blame conservatives for everything. And it's this this back and forth where who who's winning is the ones who can deflect the blame. Right. And so we're just at this very tribal point in our society, and it's a little scary where in history where those societies – end up going but that's honestly that's where we're at and i don't know when it's so highly profitable to be a disruptor and fracture our country with poison i don't know how you come back from that i don't know how you pull back from that and it's it's a little uh disenchanting and a little worrisome 
Well, I, again, you talk about the tribalism of, of, you know, not just politics, but also wrestling it. It seems that there is a huge issue. And you had mentioned, too, before we started recording about, you know, being blocked by people, by more liberals than conservatives. Okay. And I feel that because I'm a really progressive guy. If you listen to my show, you can hear it. I was a Sanders voter twice. I, I, I lean very, very hard, like very hard left in a lot of things. What my, my idea is whatever's going to create the greatest amount of good for the most amount of people is what is the right thing to do. Okay. And I think most reasonable people who still have critical analysis skills left can agree on, but at the same time, I'm going to sit here. I've been called out a couple of times by friends of mine on, you know, putting on stuff on my Facebook or, you know, on my Twitter account, raging hard against Trump. And they're like, well, where's this energy for Biden? It's still here. There's just <laughs> like it's here now. It's in this microphone or it's on my Twitter feed or it's like I don't if I'm going to be on Twitter or if I'm going to be on Facebook, rather, I'm not doing myself any favors because nobody wants to listen to that shit. No one's going to get out of their confirmation bias. So why am I going to continue to post this stuff yeah. on on Facebook when it's not doing anything except for confirming the biases of, of my friends and confirming, you know, and, and confirming that I might be a fucking idiot to people who don't agree with me, right? It's this echo chamber that we build for ourselves. But I don't necessarily think that there is a, a, an ability for a lot of people to be critical of the folks who are in their own echo chamber. And I think that's a real serious problem, not just in politics, but also in wrestling. How can you be an objective person and claim to be an objective individual who has, a, a, you know, you are reporting and you're putting in facts and you're doing op-eds and stuff, but you can't ever have an honest conversation about the inclusivity in AEW or the fact that WWE dropped the fucking ball about this Nazi name or whatever, a hundred other things that we could have conversations about. It's impossible to have these car these conversations and have these discussions because no one is interested in leaving that comfort zone, right? No one's interested in leaving their their confirmation bias. So it becomes this circular clusterfuck of information that we can't do anything with. And I think that's the most frustrating part about conversations about AEW. Because as soon as you start, as soon as you start criticizing, it's like, hey, well, you know, why aren't there black guys on TV? Like, where are the black wrestlers? Where are the women wrestlers who get, you know, more than, who should get more than two minutes and 18 seconds on their on the television? Where are they? And as soon as you start saying that, oh, well, you know, WWE has a huge issue with, with race and all these things. Well, yes, yes, and I say the same things too. But I'm also saying that there is a problem here. It feels... Very much, it feels, AEW feels a lot like the tribalism of Trumpism. And I know that's yeah. kind of a controversial thing to say, but I want you to sort of like game that out, right? Because they are the only other group that I have seen that is, they are, it's, they, the criticism level, it's, it, 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 Tony Khan is it's impervious. It's a very toxic fan base. Right. That they will go after fucking anybody. Right. They so will eat themselves. The comparison is. Right. And even honest, like Bernie bros gave Bernie a really bad rap back in 2016. Now, don't get me wrong. The fact that the DNC suppressed his momentum definitely made it understandable when people were super pissed, but there was other toxic stuff to that. But there, I mean, so yeah, your comparison is very valid because what you're talking about is that toxic com confirmation bias, this, we are right. You are wrong. I mean, even such just 
now they're saying that Big Swole is the reason Leo Rush got fired. So the announcement is Leo Rush's contract is expiring, so he is leaving. Okay, so that so him being fired, that's not factually accurate. Correct. But the Correct. same people, the same people who want to throw Big Swole under the bus saying that she's the reason Leo Rush got fired are the ones that praise Tony Khan up and down for his interview claiming that AEW wrestlers are lifers. So which is it, guys? Right, exactly. Is he firing people or are they lifers? And also, is Tony, because I remember Tony Khan's like, well, our contracts are different than WWE's, which bullshit. But anyway, him saying, like, you know, we're a family, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well then, why wouldn't, I, I guess my question, why isn't your narrative just, oh yeah, Leo Rush wanted to leave? Or whatever, like, why... Why is it that he even why is him even getting fired something you think right. proves your side right? Because it to me it sounds like you're contradicting yourself pretty terribly. Well, it's also too, it's like it that it, 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 why can't you just come up with a very easy press statement? We have come to terms with the ending of Leo Rush's contract. We wish him well in the fu- in his future endeavors. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Every corporation in the world says that, and none of us, to be clear, should be riding for any corporation of any kind whatsoever. When Bray Wyatt was fired and let go, for, or not fired, but when he was let go from his contract... I was pissed. This is a money-making machine. This is an incredible, probably. I was so confused. Probably, actually not even probably, arguably the most creative mind in WWE in probably the past two or three decades. Nobody touches this guy, and they let him go. What the fuck is going on? Is this a budgetary cut? Is this a disagreement of creative? What is it? I have a lot of questions. And I'm riding for Bray way more than I'm riding for WWE. And I'm always going to support whatever this guy does, regardless of where he goes. It's 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 this this idea that Tony Khan is impervious to the, the pratfalls and the pitfalls of what Vince McMahon and his company went through as well. You cannot hoard talent forever. You cannot have these people who are lifers. You can sign them. What? So they're lifers. Okay, well, what happens in a couple of years, which is, you know, the end of his career is far closer than the beginning of his career. What happens when Chris Jericho can't compete in the ring anymore? What kind of deal are you going to give him? Oh, that's right. Would it be a Legends deal? Would it be a deal that has him as a, 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 a valet or a, a manager or even a commentator that you have him doing backstage stuff? What you know, like they are literally doing the same thing, just using different words and different approaches to yeah. it, you know. And it's like this idea that none of it is the same, and that it's so much so unique and so, uh, you know, it's brand new. Ter- it's like this is not guys. This is not what this is. Like you can you cannot sustain no. a business model. And I know again, you know, you dump in an eight figure deal or an eight figure sum of money into a video game when your company hasn't been profitable in the three years it's been in business ever these are legitimate questions that i would ask tony what was the business conversation what was the business decision behind this and who advised you to do this what is your long-term roi on the video game what are your projections Mm -hmm. what are your pre-sale numbers do you think you are going to forecast for going forward what, you know, like these are all business questions that my in my shoot job they would ask me before I started a project, yeah. right? And so it's not about it's not about critique. It's not about saying AEW sucks. It's about questions that I have about their business model and their long term long term sustainability. 
And I think people can't have those conversations because they are so tribalistic. They are so stuck in this world, this place that that doesn't allow them to see the you know the forest inside of the trees, right, or whatever that fucking mm-hmm. phrase is. Because I I tend to fuck up one phrase a show, so that's probably the one I'm going to mess up here. But <laughs> what do you think? It still works. I it works, it. man. It, it works. Yeah. Works. But listen, what do you think AEW can do to bring the casual viewer in? I'm going to put you on the spot here because I need to know. Wow. Yeah, my, I don't know. You, you, your listeners did not see how big my eyes got when I realized that wasn't rhetorical. That right. Was coming straight. That up. was coming straight because I, I, you know, I don't know if there. What is it? Let me let me actually phrase the question for you and then give you a, a subpart and then let you talk. What is it that AEW can do to attract viewers from WWE? Bring back the lapsed viewer and make themselves marketable on a global scale the way that WWE has because it can be done right we've seen it happen before Eric did it and for really I mean as a as a conversation part to this GCW just did it by selling out Hammerstein Ballroom they just did this and they're bringing in people who haven't watched in probably years Jeff Jarrett showed up at that fucking show and wrestled right like these are Matt Cardona, John Moxley. These are people who are crossed over in the industry who are now coming back to this program. So what do you what would your advice be as someone who's in the media? What would your advice be to Tony Khan and that company? Oof. Okay. So <laughs> lot to unpack <laughs> here, folks. Talk about this ahead of time. So I apologize to the listeners if I stammer. So man, there is so much. And that's I think. One of my biggest frustrations paying attention to this in the media is it just it feels like they have they have learned the opposite lessons from WCW and TNA. Uh, You have TNA where, man, their roster in the late 2000s was nuts. It was so stacked when Spike TV was paying for top talent to be there. It was insane but nobody watched it because they did not market it correctly. I mean, that just, and, but kind of to your point, like even impact at this point has gotten to the stage where internationally, I would say they might be number two because they have this international presence. I mean, I don't know how they pulled that off, but it's been pretty impressive where all of a sudden, like they still, I mean, American audience, doesn't really care, but they're also on a channel that really a lot of people don't have. Um, but part of uh, there, man, there's so many things for one, they need to practice what they preach. So uh, it's not out yet by the time this is out, but I had a conversation with our buddy Duke and he was talking about this whole all inclusive diversity mission statement. AEW promised people when they launched and it's not debatable to say that they have, not lived up to any of those promises since they began. It's just, it just, it seems super nice to have, it wasn't a mission statement, it's a vision statement because this is what we're going to do. That's a vision statement, but they haven't done any of that. And this whole give them time is frankly horseshit. When you have every wrestling promotion out there from the tiniest indie to WWE pushing black and minority talent, and AEW is very, very white. What what are we waiting for? What are we giving time for? So there needs to be this diversity for one. 
for two, man, they got to get rid of the win-loss record. They got to get rid of that. That is going to cause some major fucking problems in the future because Jim Ross has said this many times. You can get someone over beautifully by them losing. They don't always have to win to get over. But when you're looking at, like, I saw one of one of the uh, black wrestlers is like 0-8. How does that help him? Right. How does that move him forward? Because all that does remember, just provides this stigma. Perception is reality. It doesn't matter how great this guy's in-ring ability could be, his technical skills, his mic skills. Somewhere on the internet, it's listed 0-8. and Well, this guy fucking sucks because he hasn't won a match inside of this organization. Perception is reality. They'll show that they'll show that on AEW Dark before the two wrestle, and you're like, oh, the O and eight guy is going to lose. Like, I I mean, there's no mystery. He's enhancement talent, so they got to get rid of that, and that's going to cause problems with some of their high level talent moving forward. Because if it's going to fuck up your your win loss record, there's going to be some egos there where they're like, I don't want to lose. I've lost too much. People are going to, if they're paying attention to this arbitrary number, that doesn't mean anything because it's decided by who's booking this shit. What's the point? I mean, we all know wrestling is choreographed. We all know this. So to add that, to add some legitimacy, are you kidding me? That's just, that's a burden on these wrestlers. That's daunting. If I'm a one in five wrestler, Am I feeling good about going into my next match against someone that's five and one? No. Who do you think that they're going to automatically assume they need to book to win? It's not going to be me. So why am I excited to go to work, especially when I'm not seeing people like me represented as world champions or at least contenders? So that is a big deal. They need, they need to get rid of, uh, Cody, Young Bucks, Omega being EVPs if they're still going to be active wrestlers because you watch it and they're always getting themselves over, which boggles my mind how Eric Bischoff and Kevin Nash and all these people back in the day were blasted for booking themselves to get over. But meanwhile, these guys are praised by the PWI uh, as just the best of the best. I mean, the fact that freaking cm punk got performer of the year are you fucking kidding me he was barely there and he wasn't even performing come on that had to be roman reigns that there's no one else last year once again not arguable you look at the consistency the right. amount of time the right. amount of work it's roman reigns and you're talking to someone who's never been super high in roman reigns i thought it was fine but i wasn't this fanboy. His role now is phenomenal. Thank yeah. God he's a heel. But it's just to have CM Punk go over versus Roman just makes no sense. But sorry, side quest there. No, but, it's fine. Like, Listen, I put you on the spot, so this is well-deserved. The yeah. side quests are all, are all that's what we need to do here. But go ahead. But, but you have to get rid of them as EVPs. They cannot, but young bucks can't book themselves to win the belts all the goddamn time. You just can't. And if they're going to, and like Omega saying he's the belt collector, I'm sorry, but Austin Aries had that gimmick way before you did. And it also didn't even like Austin Aries. It didn't do anything for the promotions as it is like impact. Yeah. What did they gain from that? Yeah. They didn't gain a damn thing. Not only did he take the belt from their impact champion, he lost it to another AEW member. Like same thing with GCW. Like 
they're just burying other promotions. So this forbidden door is a curse when it comes to them. It's not a blessing. But also, they need to get rid of them as EVPs because if they're not going to represent the company in an executive vice president capacity, which Omega and Tony Khan has proven they cannot do, then they need to move to the side. Right. They just there's not going to be growth if the heads of your company are publicly problematic. That is not that. And in fact, anything that's going to scare advertisers away. If you have your fucking EVP accusing someone of pedophilia on Twitter baselessly as a comeback, do you think advertisers want to be a part of that? Do you think Mars M&Ms, do you think they want to be a part of that? No, they don't. They need, Oh my God, they need so much because they want to grow. And right now they just won't. They need to be their own thing. They need to pretend WWE doesn't exist because I'm sorry they didn't kick WWE's ass. They have not kicked WWE's ass. And for them to constantly troll WWE, that's not bringing in new viewers. That's not even moving the needle at all on their favored demo. They need to really reevaluate what they're doing. And by the way, by differentiating yourself by doing chair shots to the head, knock that off. Yeah, that, guys, off. that's, that's got to stop. That's got to fucking there, stop. There is no excuse now that we know what CTE does to people. I can't even go watch old WWE and see those chair shots because we know what long-term effects, and that's not cool. That doesn't make you edgy. No. It just doesn't. And if you here's the deal. GCW can get away with it because they're tiny, and their CEO really doesn't have other than selling out arenas he doesn't even want a TV deal at this point. He wants to keep it how it is. And deathmatch is not my thing, but regardless, it is other people's thing in a smaller capacity. But if you want to grow as a major entity to compete and be the number two, you, you cannot do that stuff. You just, that is not going to lead to growth. There's more people who are repulsed by it nowadays who Love that shit back in the day with wrestlers bled and all that stuff back when kayfabe was a thing, but it just isn't anymore. And that's not going to differentiate you in a way that will grow the way you want it to. Uh, another one that this is going to be crazy unpopular. And I'm even conflicted saying it because I don't ever want to see some of my favorite wrestlers out of work, but you have to stop signing new people. You can't do this shock appearance pop because it's cheap. And as we saw with the CM Punk reemergence, it doesn't last. Like, what, two episodes later when they realized they weren't really going to do a program with him that was compelling, the viewership plummeted. You have to make stories with the characters and the wrestlers you have now. You can't rely on people, just new people showing up. You just, you can't, there's no story development. There's maybe one, an episode that's a recurring, but then what about all the other wrestlers that are way in the wing? And then they see their chance of getting TV time go away when former WWE wrestler is now wrestling for them, you know? So they need to really, those, I'd say those, I'm sure there's a ton of other things, right. but I've just dropped a deuce on AEW to the point where I'm sure people are going to be super pissed, but, but you know all what? of those are constructive. Those aren't right. mean spirited. Those are my intentions to help the company grow. Um, 
Because to your point, you can't, like you said, you can't say that stuff publicly if you want to grow. It's just shitty. It's unprofessional. And quite frankly, maybe Omega wouldn't know better, but Tony Khan should. Yeah. And he's the guy that's running the show. And again, it's, again, it's, it's, it, none of these things we, like, you have to understand I'm a 90s kid. You're a 90s guy. I want this company to be successful. I want that excitement back that I had in the 90s. I want that. But it's different now. There needs to be a different approach to it. There needs to be a different method to doing this. And AEW has to be different. And right now, it feels like less than. It feels like a lot of less than. And that's my biggest problem is they're not doing anything that is different. I was excited. I was so fucking hyped to see CM Punk back. That was a big fucking moment. That was huge. And that should be celebrated. But what are you guys doing with him now that is making this long-term story different? Christian Cage coming back at the Rumble, signing with AEW. Okay, cool. Former world champion in two different promotions. He's here. What is he doing now? Where is he? I love Christian Cage. Big fan of Christian Cage. Where is he? What is he doing that's meaningful? Daniel, uh, Brian Danielson. A lot of these guys, they're all the same. It, it, it's, it's, it, they, they bring them in and the pop value is eventually going to subside. But you are correct. You cannot be sustainable if you don't have the infrastructure to properly promote all of this talent, you can't just continue to utilize AEW Dark. People are not watching it. There is not a sustained build for that product. People are not watching Rampage. It's because it's on a death hour. It's on a Friday night at, at a, what, 10 o'clock? Who's watching TV at Friday night at 10 o'clock? Nobody. But anyway, I digress. I appreciate all of your insight and knowledge into this because I feel like at some point people are going to have to start being honest about that and I can start to see the cracks happening. People are starting to talk about these things. People are starting to bring them up and the criticism is that, well, nobody ever talks about it in WWE. Well, sure they do. They've just been talking about it a lot longer with WWE than they have with AEW Mm -hmm. and WWE for better or for worse is starting to gravitate towards the things that they used to shy away from. You have black world champions. You have women main eventing pay-per-views. You have a you, you have these things that have not happened before. They are happening now. And I think that's a really yeah. important distinction. Go ahead. Uh, so I so going back to what you're talking about with the women's division, I would like to hear your opinion about them saying potentially Ronda Rousey coming back. Because I have my feelings about it, but I'm very curious to hear what you're You know, I don't about. I'm glad you asked that. Thank you very much. I uh I, I sort of got a news report about that today. Um I saw it, but I know it's been kind of floating in the atmosphere for a couple of days now, maybe about a week or so. I don't know, man. I don't know how I feel about it. I uh, I wasn't sure I was extremely hyped on her initially on her run. Um, I think she's great. I think she 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 definitely has a lot of potential. But I don't know what it, what dynamic it brings to the women's division at this point. I don't know what it adds to that level. Right again, like WWE's cut a lot of talent, and it's it's a name brand. She's established. She knows what she's doing, and she has the potential to elevate a lot of talent. I'm just, I guess it's more, it's, it's cautious hesitation for me. How is it going to, because remember, Bailey is still out. We don't know when Bailey's going to be back. The roster is really not that big. They're still building talents like Aaliyah and some of these other folks that are coming up from developmental. What is the long-term story arc, at least yeah. for me? That's my take. But what, what about you? What, what was your feeling on it? So I think it would, if they're going to do what they did last time, I think it would be bad for the women's division. So the reason why 
Uh, right now, I am watching with my two daughters. They're seven and eight. I am watching the first May Young classic. Oh, and because because I want to show my girls that they can grow up and do whatever the hell they want to do. Because they still have some of those preconceived notions of oh, this is a boy thing or this is a girl thing, and I just want to be like, no. The, if you want to do this, it doesn't make you less of a girl. Right. If you want to do, you know, such an, I'm, I'm blanking on that example, but they're loving this. And when they get back uh, tonight, we're watching another episode of it. Um, the, so the reason I bring that up is there was this major positive movement for women's wrestling at that point. And, you know, you had a second season of it and you had the war games where Dakota Kai turned heel and blew everyone's mind. My mouth was open for like five minutes when that yeah, happened. Like, yeah. you know, and you had, you know, uh, finally, like, or you had like Charlotte do her thing, which is I, I'm in the minority. I'm, I'm not super high on Charlotte, uh, but like, yeah, Becky and all these people like it was happening. Like you had one of pay-per-view Sasha and Alexa had like the best match of the night. It was amazing. Um, but then you had Ronda Rousey come in, which I'm not a huge fan because I thought she's kind of a shitty person and her final fight with Amanda Nunez that made uh, Kofi's loss uh, to Brock Lesnar feel like an Iron Man match. Um, <laughs> like, her and the fact that she wouldn't even like shake hands she just left with a shitty yeah. sportsmanship but i was impressed when i saw her training that she was actually taking it seriously so i was like oh cool she's coming in but you know they pushed her when she was too green she gave alexa like two concussions and but the but regardless i feel how she was booked majorly hurt the women's division because it it i get that especially with it was just being a year contract and they kind of wanted to woo Rhonda to potentially stay longer. You know, they they book her as this monster that just takes everyone out and easily wins the belt and doesn't let go of it until that WrestleMania match. The problem with that is when you have someone brand new come in and just destroy an entire division, it devalues the entire division. Absolutely. To the point where it makes it pretty irrelevant. And you're not really watching Ronda wrestle a woman per se specifically. You're just watching Ronda squash someone because she's this UFC champ. And we're finally at a point where we're, I mean, like the women's revolution, for lack of a better term, just completely derailed after that to the point where it just wasn't what it was. It was so promising that year the Mae Young Classic was happening. Um, and they had their own pay-per-view, things like that. Right. And I don't necessarily blame Miranda as I do just the booking. And so I guess my fear is with all the work they are doing to try and rebuild the legitimacy of the women's division, I worry it's going to be a repeat of that. And if that's the case, it just, it will once again, set back the women's division. I guess I also have questions too, about some of the decisions that they've made just in the past two years. Right. Cause I feel like, almost like the better version of Ronda Rousey, and I hate to say that in that way, but it's like, for me, the person who really hits those marks for me is Shayna Baszler. Shayna yeah. Baszler had a fucking incredible run coming up from NXT, winning the title, showing up in the main card. Right before the pandemic, she brutalized those girl, those women inside of the Elimination Chamber. They were setting her up. She destroyed. Mm -hmm. There was no chance anybody else had in that match. Not a single fucking one. And for some reason, they 
hit the gas or they hit the brakes rather. They hit the brakes on the yeah. on the push. Why? You have a certified star who is technically sound. She's great in the ring. You know, her promos may not be that great, but you don't really need her to talk all that much. You need her to, it, she's a lot like a Roman Reigns or a Brock Lesnar. She just needs to be there. She's an imposing force. And I think if you build her in the way that maybe you build Brock Lesnar or even a Roman Reigns, you could do some serious damage. You could really do a lot of great programs in there that I don't think you can do with Ronda Rousey. I don't think that the mechanics are there for that. It's not the believability factor for me isn't there. Yeah, Ronda Rousey's an ass kicker, but look at Shayna Baszler. She's a fucking machine. You know what I mean? So, like, for me, that's I think that's the issue that I have is what happens to a lot of these people that they're building, right? And I think we're kind of in the yeah. same program there. But, I mean, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It could be a totally different thing. It could be Farmer Brock Lesnar Part 2, you know? It could be yeah. an entirely different spin on this character. So, I'm curious to see where they go with it. But, I again, as in everything, I'm cautiously optimistic. So, Noah, to, I wanted to thank you again for coming on the show but I do something every time with everyone who appears on the show. It's a bunch of rapid-fire questions because I know how we initially linked up was wrestling. So I have to ask you this. I would be remiss not to do this with you. So, Noah, are Bring you it. ready for the rapid-fire questions? Bring it. First, your all-time favorite wrestling match. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> Talk about being on the spot, brother. Oh, my God. Uh... Wow, that just absolutely, I would say one of, well, you know what, uh, I would say the cage match between the Uzos and New Day. Wow. I know it doesn't really narrow it down, but those guys can put on a clinic every time they're in the match. That is an excellent choice, and the first time anyone's gone there. I appreciate that. And I'll have one final touch at the end of the show before we wrap up, because you brought up something I talked about today. Your favorite WrestleMania. Favorite WrestleMania? Oof. Uh, man, I don't have one. I'm so critical of all that. Like, I just, I do not, I, I mean, shit. I, the WrestleMania where Kofi won. The yeah. Belt. Yeah. That was I, a I great moment. I would say that probably be, yeah, I would say that because then you also had Becky Lynch being Becky two belts. So I would say that one. You're the worst match of all time. Oh, dear God. The worst match of all time. <sighs> man you for rapid fire these make these make people think uh -huh. for sure um uh, i would say any match with glacier what a pull from the past the worst gimmick is probably glacier then right you could tie that all in together uh i would say either glacier or when they turned alex right into berlin that's why i'm not Oof. offended by the gunthers i'm not offended by the gunther switches because i'm like dude i'm old enough to remember when alex Wright all of a sudden was berlin yeah Oof, or not. you know what or uh, or any any uh wcw jeff jarrett gimmick fucking hated oh my god <laughs> i wanted that guy off the screen and when he was a leader of nwo he had like 10 segments of show and i'm like get off my goddamn tv Nicest guy in the world, too. If you get a chance to meet him or interact with him. I've heard. Wonderful, I've heard. wonderful guy. Um, oh, would, would Finger Poke a Doom be considered a gimmick? Because that made yeah. me stop watching WCW for like 20 years. Yeah, I would say that's a good, that's a, that could be a gimmick. Yeah, because it was a gimmick okay. match. I, I, it, well, yeah. it didn't start as a gimmick match, but it ended up as one. Um, your favorite wrestling angle? Uh, oof. 
Oh, NWO. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why did I have to pause? NWO, 100%. The biggest missed opportunity in professional wrestling. Keith Lee. Yeah. Keith, Keith Lee or Karrion Cross. Both of those, I have no clue how you'd whiff on that. Like, Karrion Cross's entrance with Scarlet was just, and it wasn't necessarily her, but just his entrance was, like, scary as shit, and he comes out as a Vegas stripper gladiator in WWE. Randy Orton or Kenny Omega? Orton. Oh, my God. All time. WWE AE crossover. The forbidden door is broken down. Does it happen? Yes, but in uh, WWE documentaries. WCW pre-Russo at the height of the NWO or ECW? WCW pre-Russo. ECW is overrated. NWO or DX? NWO. And the final question, Sting and The Undertaker finally wrestle in the ring. One-on-one. Who goes over? At their prime? Yes. We're talking Crow Sting and we're talking, I guess, Ministry of Darkness, Undertaker, when they're at their darkest points. Oof. That, I would, I wish that was a real thing, but I would, as much as I love Sting, I still would say Undertaker. That is the most common answer that I get on these questions is the Undertaker. Now, one final question. He has more of a variety, man. Like, he he has a larger tool, but I love Sting, but look at Undertaker, and he's he has reinvented himself in so many different cool ways, but still being the same thing. You know, like yeah. Surfer Sting was not the same as Crow Sting. So I just I think that's why I lean towards Undertaker. And I feel like Sting would probably tell you that he would he would put Taker over. Because I feel like it's almost, you know, I mean it just it that match would have been fucking incredible. But yeah. Steve's awesome. So one thing that I wanted to bring up before we end the we wrap this up here is main event Jay Uso. And I tweeted today and it seems to not really taken off, but it's you know, it's getting a lot of I people. Saw, I liked it already. I uh, I think that yeah, we the ones main event Jay Uso is absolutely the only choice to defeat Roman Reigns and dethrone him. And I used to think it was Drew McIntyre, because I think there's still a story there with Drew McIntyre. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily know if Drew is the right one to knock Roman off the pedestal. It's possible if it's done correctly, right? If, it, if it's built like Brock. But I think the real payoff for me would be Jey Uso knocking him off the throne. And I think they're laying the seeds for that, too. If you watch it, they're laying the seeds for that big time. What do you think about that? Do you think Jey Uso is the right choice? I think that would be a great choice. Um, I will always think the Uzos are the best tag team of all time, closely followed by New Day. Uh, I think that would be a good choice. I would love his match with Big E. um, Roman's match with Big E was nuts. It was so, their chemistry was amazing. So I, I personally think Big E could still do it, and that would be a great story have an epic like best two out of three type of thing. But I think with what you're talking about, it almost has to be someone that's in the trusted inner circle of Roman to bring him down a peg. Cause yeah, with where he's at and how well insulated he is with his tribe, so to speak, it would have to be someone that he does not see coming because of his hubris. So I think that's a fantastic, I don't know if that's going to be who it is, but I think that'd be a, 
compelling story. Well, they're also they're laying the seeds for it. If you listen to Seth Rollins, you know, you you're always protected by the Usos. They come and do your dirty work. And the facial expressions that was caught by Jay Uso, like that is just fucking unbelievable. It's the best shit on TV. And I sat there and I'm thinking about it. I think Stephanie Hype said it as well. I think she was the first person who sort of nodded to it on Twitter was Jay Uso being the one to take over. And I'm like, fuck, that's a really good idea. That is an incredible mm. idea that he is the one who does it. All that stuff from the beginning, it ties right back to the end. I don't know. How about this? If that's what happens, we'll come back on the show and we'll dissect it together. Noah Kinsey, Deal. tell everyone where they can find your show, where they can find you on social media. Yeah, well, my Twitter is at the Noah Kinsey. Um, my podcast is the Coffee Time Podcast with Noah Kinsey. Yesterday, as of this airing, I had this lovely gentleman on there, hence why we're doing this crossover. So thanks again for being on that. That was a blast. That yes. was so fun. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, the Coffee Time Podcast with Noah Kinsey. It's available wherever you consume your podcasts. Um, yeah, so that's, I think where people can find me i think everything else i mean all, it all, all feeds my podcast out. episodes have everything in the show description so they can find everything else there but definitely listen to coffee time podcast with noah kinsey and i appreciate you this has been a blast as well part two blast of our our conversation which was too big for one day uh which is how we should have probably built that fuck i should have said that from the beginning damn it should have tied it in but no honestly it's this has been a long time coming i've really enjoyed this i've enjoyed both conversations um i'm looking forward to doing this again noah kinsey thank you so much for your time sir i really appreciate it thank you buddy i appreciate you Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Kreps. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode and our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor. Proprietor.